Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this, in this in love, not that we have loved in God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we, ought, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love will be perfect in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit, and that we have seen and testify that our Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not... For he who does not love his brother, whom he cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we have been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Please keep the Bibles open. Afternoon, everyone. Um, let me add my welcome to George's. Uh, if you're here for the first time, it's great to see you. Um, if you're coming back, uh, great to see you too. Um, uh, please keep your Bibles open because we're going to be uh, dipping in and out of that passage um, as we as we go through. Um, I've also asked uh, for beforehand for people to sort of have a bit of a read through one John and try to look for the places where you find the word confident um, in one John. I think there's four places in the in the book. Um, George has prayed for us, uh, so we'll get going. I'm going to start with this question: Can a Christian be confident? Should a Christian have confidence? So that means if you're a Christian sitting here today, what confidence do you have? And what can you have confidence about? John is writing to a church, much like ours, I guess. Uh, it's a church that has started to experience some pretty tough things going on, where people, with some influential people, some pretty confident people in the church have left and they haven't left quietly and the things that they're saying actually are eroding the confidence of the people left behind 
John's letter is quite compassionate then, isn't it? Because he speaks gently to them. But at the same time, John is pretty stark and he's strong in what he says. And the reason he does that is because he really cares that they're not going to be led away by these lies. When you, when you hear he's strong, using strong language, it's so that he might help awaken them and to arm them against the lies, uh, these lies that they're hearing. And if you track what John seems to want for this particular church and and what God wants for our church through 1 John, uh, it can be summarised in that one word, confidence. Uh, It comes up four times in the letter. Um, Let's have a look at those. Uh, In 2 verse 28, it says this, And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. 3 verse 21. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. 4 verse 17. By this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. For as he is, so also are we in this world. And 5 verse 13, right towards the end of the letter, he says... I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, if you just look at those four examples of the confidence that's there, well, the first thing that's apparent is that it's a confidence before God. That's the type of confidence that John is speaking of and wanting for, for the Christians is a confidence before God. And actually, it's interesting, isn't it, that uh, the first and the third ones are confidence on the, for the day of judgment um, in, in, in view of punishment, to not fear, but to be confident that they won't face that punishment on the day of judgment. And, and the th- second and the fourth are about prayer, that they can come to God and he hears them, that they can speak to him. Confidence for the day of judgment and confidence in prayer. And if you're a Christian here today, you can have confidence before God that he will not punish you for your sins on the day of judgment and that he hears what you ask of him. Did you know that? I think quite a lot of Christians struggle with that confidence. I know I do. Constantly asking the question, am I really a Christian? How can I know? What's it going to feel like? And I think a lot of people would struggle and and get quite downhearted as a Christian and not really be able to live as a Christian or have confidence in living as a Christian. Well, what does John point to in this this, um, section we're looking at here as proof that they are God's children. Because these are the conf- this is the confidence of those who are God's children, and only those who are God's children. But what is the proof that they are God's children in this letter? Or this part of the letter? It says this. Um, it's down there in verse 16, I think. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So it seems to be that love is a a factor or an indication of those who have been who are children of God 
doesn't it? Whoever abides in love abides in God. But what kind of love? And this is going back to George's helpful introduction. What kind of love? Because love is that same kind of buzzword, isn't it? Like confidence, well, confidence means confidence in myself. That's how we use that word. Or love, we know how the word love is used, don't we? Um, We use it in so many different ways that it can mean pretty much anything. So take take a quick survey of how it's used, what it's used in relation to. Um, And it kind of means, I think what we use it to mean is to find pleasure in something. I love my shoes, I love my car, I love my ice cream, I love my favourite sport. I think that means to find pleasure in it, doesn't it? That's kind of what we're saying when we say, I love that thing. And I think it's also used to mean, well, we use kind words or behaviour. So, um, you know, to love is basically just saying nice things. And we often encourage that, don't we, in the children or in the playground or even in sport, we say... Well, don't, um, don't be racist. Don't say horrible things about each other. Love, not hate. So that's the kind of framework of how we use that word. And it's there in the campaign, isn't it? Hate won't win. It's the opposite of love is, well, racist comments. But actually, if that's the only thing love is, then we can be kind to ourselves, can't we? We can love ourselves. And that really shows what we mean by the word love, doesn't it? Just, just say nice things to yourself. Don't say anything that is challenging or negative about yourself. So what all this shows is that we're both confused about love and we use it quite superficially. And so what happens when we read the Bible, and we need the Bible and God to do this, is to turn down the many voices we hear about love. To turn them off. And to turn up the one voice of the God of love, on his true love for us, to have him tell us, to hear from him about his love. What is it? What is love? Um, This is his love that he brought into their lives. Um, Let's have a look. Um, It says in verse um, 16 of chapter 3, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, talking of Jesus, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This is the love of God. The love of God is defined by one thing, the the love that Jesus had in going to the cross for sinners. That is the one event, the one thing that defines God's love. It's costly, isn't it? Jesus laid down his life. We see that in the fact he had to give up something of himself. Uh, It's undeserved. It was done for sinners. It's not that they earned it or warranted it and he's just given them a reward. No, it's it's undeserved. And it's active, so it's more than just words. So this is a much fuller picture of love, isn't it? Think of that. Costly, undeserved, active. It goes beyond just saying the words. It does something. And John says that this is going to be a feature of all those who have received God's love. And remember, it's the proof 
Not just to him that he can see this in them, but to them themselves that they are God's children. And that will give them the confidence that they are truly God's children. That they have this love. And that verse again, 3 verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for brothers. So they will have this same love, this God, other-centred, costly, undeserved, active love for those that belong to God as well, who are also God's children. And that really is, as this letter comes to the second half, the, the proof that they are to see shows that they are God's children, the mark of God's children, and to give them confidence that they belong to him. So it's the kind of thing we need to be looking at and thinking, yeah, either that's a feature of us, and it will be if you're a Christian, it definitely will be in some measure, or it's not a feature at all. Notice there that... um, If you continue on from verse 16, sorry, of chapter 3, we're dipping back a bit into chapter 3 because that talks about it as well, but um, verses 17 and 18, notice there that this is a love that sees the brother in need and does something. It's shown in action, not just in what is said. If you think about it, in John's Gospel, chapter 13, John had that experience before Jesus, didn't he? of Jesus serving him in such a way as this. Um, because people remember what Jesus did then, um, in the upper room, what he, what he did before them. He, got, he took off his um, garments, he got down and he washed their feet. He served them. And John tells us in chapter 13, if you want to just jump back to that, John chapter 13. If someone's got a page number, shout it out. Uh, 900. Jesus uh, says to them in uh, verse 7, after washing their feet, he says, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my head feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but it is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Um, And then he says, uh, truly, I say to you in verse 16, uh, sorry, the verse before, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So um, Jesus, John is there. He was there when Jesus washed his feet. When Jesus took on that servant role and did this loving thing. And obviously Jesus is talking when he says, you do not understand this now. The the fulfilment of that picture is that Jesus was going to serve them in his death. They didn't understand it then, but they would when he had died, when he had given his life. And Jesus' command there, isn't it? He says, you ought to do just as I have done. So this is not a new thing that John is saying in 1 John. It's not that suddenly he's saying, 
This will be a mark of Christians. Jesus himself said, as I've done for you, you should do this for each other. And this, and, and it's strong enough to say in, in 1 John, it says, lay down your life for one another. That's a, a costly thing, isn't it? To prefer someone over you. But that will be the feature of all those who are now part of his family. Um, let's have a look at these verses. Um, so we've got whoever abides in love abides in God. Oh, I thought I had another page. Okay. Yeah, there should be something underneath that. Oh well. Um, having done that, Jesus also said this. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. That's just later on in chapter 13. So John's confidence about the people he's writing to, that they are children of God, is that they love one another. And he says that this is true of you. Of course, it's not perfect, It's always faultingly, but you do love one another. In 3 verse 14 it says, if you go back to 1 John. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. In 3 verse 18 it says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this, in verse 19, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. In 4 verse 12 it says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And 5 verse 1 it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So, John is saying that the big feature in those who are children of God is that they love as they have been loved. That they love other believers. And that is to be for them an assurance, a continuing assurance, that they are children of God. That they have this assurance, this confidence, that he will not punish them on the day of judgment. And that they can draw near to him in prayer. And I think... As Christians, we do need that assurance, don't we? Because we ask the questions, am I a Christian? Well, John's saying, do you love your brothers and sisters? And and the answer to the question is, well, yes, I do. I find them difficult at times. I don't know how to love them perfectly, but I do love them. And I want to be there for them when things go wrong. And I want to help them. I have a relationship with them. And God says... That's just not normal. Have you ever thought about how how not normal this is? Church. People from completely different walks of life actually wanting to spend time together. And, And more than that, actually spending time together when they're not in church. I think this is an aspect of church life that we take for granted, isn't it? We so quickly start to think that this is just quite normal, quite every day, but it's not. And actually it takes often, doesn't it, the the non-Christian, the person who isn't used to this, to notice that. They're the ones who are saying, what are you 
So let me get this right. There's a guy who wants to take in a 19-year-old. And he's been lived on his own for a little while, but he, he now wants to open his house to someone who he's not yet met. That's bonkers. Um, or someone in their 60s who buys more presents for a child's birthday than their own parents. That's not normal, is it? You can think of that person, who that person might be. Um, it's not normal, is it, for a Kenyan family to love two babies who are not of the same origin, who to love them as if they're their own children. No, love between Christians is not normal. In fact, it is God's love working through and in them. And that is their assurance that they are children of God because they are like him, the Heavenly Father. He loves those who are his and so do they. And so I hope this is as much of an encouragement and, and to you as it was meant for the people that John was writing to, that they are truly believers who's, in whom the love of God is working out. That's why he says, doesn't he, in um, verse 17, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Love between Christians is not just a sign to them of who they are, but it is also a sign to the world as well. And we saw that in um, John chapter 13. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. So this kind of genuine and sacrificial love between Christians, that is not normal, it actually shows people the truth about Jesus. It, on, on one side, it will adorn the gospel. So when we've shared the gospel with people, they'll say, yeah, that seems like the authentic. It's true of what they say and what they do. But also it will make people want to come and hear the gospel because they'll see the relationships we have with one another and the love we have for one another. another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Another implication is when we as Christians go through tough times, we should speak truth, yes, in those moments. We have to speak truth about God's love for other believers. We need to say God loves you. He hasn't stopped loving you because this is going on. But at the same time, we can also show God's love by being there, by helping out and, and actually showing God's love in that way, in a practical way. So that's if you're a Christian here today. This is a feature of your life and it is an assurance to you that you are God, a God's child. Whenever you see this, even in parts, even faultingly in your life, you can think, that's not normal. And you can have confidence. And, and hopefully it will build your confidence in, that, in these two ways as well. That you have confidence for the day of judgment that you are not going to face his punishment. But your confidence to draw near to him. He's your father. You can talk to him. If you're not a Christian here, you can be. How? Well, exactly the same way that the people here who are Christians have become Christians. By believing that Jesus is the Son of God 
whom the Father sent. That is the definition of love, isn't it, in verses 9 and 10. In this the love of God was made manifest, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That God the Father sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. That is the definition of love. And that is the love that God has for you. He has that love for you. It was costly. He gave up his life. It was undeserved. You didn't do anything to deserve that. And it is active. He stepped down from heaven. He came to do that for you. He's not just saying it. He's proven it. He's demonstrated he loves you. Will you see that Jesus died for you? Finally then, there is a caution here. Because it says in verse 20, If anyone says, I love God... And hates his brother. He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen. Cannot love God. Whom he has not seen. Can't see God. So how do you know you love God? You can see your brothers and sisters. And it's impossible for someone to love God. And not love. God's people. It says that again in verse 2. Uh, verse two. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Sorry, verse 1. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So there is a caution here and it's something perhaps that some people will need to think carefully about because if, you, if you're the kind of person that finds yourself hopping around different churches and different meetings but never ever really having a meaningful relationship with the people who were there, the chances are that there's you don't love the people who are there. And that might be a sign to you that you're yet to receive the love that God has for you in Christ. Remember that the word for hate in that verse, um, verse 20, Jesus uses and he says, anyone who does not hate his mother and father cannot be my disciple. And he uses that to mean not that you're angry with that person and it's like, I hate you. But it's that you prefer something over them. And he says you need to prefer me over and above your father and your mother. That's what Jesus says. And so to hate your brother, as we've seen, is to, to, to forego the things that you could give them. Yes, to not help them when they need, need something. To not care about their needs. But also, I guess, just to prefer something over and above meeting with them or being with them. And how often is that the case? You see it a lot, don't you, that people say, I just don't, I don't go to church because I've got this other thing that I want to do instead. I don't meet with my brothers and sisters because I, I want to do something instead. If that's the case, this passage should cause some concern because... It begs the question, have you, do you love God? Do you know God's love for you? And I'd encourage you to have a think about that and to, to follow this through again and read it through and pray it through. Let's pray now. Lovely to see you, Joe. Let's pray.
Father God, for sending your Son into this world, for sending him to lay down his life on the cross for us. That is a wonderful love. It is an extraordinary love. It is an unending love. And it's a love that only you have. And thank you that you have that love for us, sinners, that you would do that for us. And thank you, Lord, that that love works in us to show us that we are true your children. Thank you that you give us love for others who have received that love too. And um, as we are encouraged by signs of that, however small in our lives, we, we pray that you would help us to have confidence that, that you are our Father. You know us, that you love us, that we know you. So that we may not fear the punishments uh, when we sin, whether we come to you. So that we may not uh, ignore you and never talk to you and, and not enjoy the fullness of that relationship with you when we speak to you as our Father. Father, in all these things, we pray that you would build our confidence that we are your children. And Father, we do pray that um, more and more people would see the love that you have given us for one another. And know that you are our, uh, we are your disciples. So that they too may be able to hear about Jesus and his love for them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.